a stu stu Studio D production. Okay, so she's still a girl. But like, she just like runs away and gets lost in the sewers. I'm like, oh, girl after my own heart. I know. <laughs> I never had maybe, the courage. Maybe she has a little mental illness after your own heart too. So. <laughs> maybe I have a little mental illness. I don't know. <laughs> I Smell believe you do, but I'm not a doctor. Isn't it? Isn't it? As someone who has mental illness, maybe I just see a little in you. I don't know. <laughs> a little in me and you. As someone who's known me for literally their whole life, I don't know, maybe. They As have someone some insight. Your child and is severely mentally ill. I had to get it from somewhere. Your dad. Your dad. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we've all met your dad. Sit down, I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story. With murdering ghosts and gobbly ghouls. It's all really fucked up, so don't you be fooled. It's effed up. everyone welcome to effed up family story time i'm hannah and i'm salem and with us today we have jesse <laughs> <laughs> hi it threw me off because you called me jesse which you I, guys yeah. do a lot as my nieces but on the show i'm just like jesse oh you're right mom always calls you jess too and so sorry it just threw me off <laughs> i started doing that more recently because i realized everybody else called her jess and she referred to herself as jess and i was yeah. like hmm, maybe she wants to be jess and not jesse but that was only about like two years ago i'm I think just lazy that... that's really all there is to it <laughs> the e is too two syllables to is too much but i get that i've always had a one syllable name what would i do and that's bell <laughs> hey guys <laughs> no i uh started it like i think mostly when i started working just because you know I'm just Jess. Leave me alone. I'm just Jess. And then it evolved into my friends Leave calling. Me alone. Shut up. <laughs> Why is oh my. that so funny? I'm just Jess. Leave me alone. It's quintessential Jess. I just remembered the story mom used to tell about me all the time, and I'd always go, Emia, own when I was yeah. little. That was your mantra, I think, for a long time. Apparently, it still is. <laughs> After that crazy introduction, um, how did it feel, Hannah? Being taken charge, yeah. I don't like it. You don't like it? <laughs> we got to get Hannah used to, I don't know um, if our listeners realize, we always mention Hannah as the co-host, and she always introduces herself because she's a co-host, but that's about the that's extent of her co-host responsibilities. <laughs> so um, I would like to take a day off every now and then, and, and so we got to get Hannah I'm gonna get Hannah part of their training educated. I'll do it. <laughs> How's everyone doing? Well, I have a story. Um, so I got a text from James while we were recording, and you all saw me make a face. He just texted me, "We got ghosts," and I said, "Wait, really?" And he said, "One of the N64 controllers on the TV stand was moving and then fell." It slid and fell off of the TV stand. Oh, <laughs> and he shit. saw it happen. Okay, that's but to pretty crazy. So we need to 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 verify this and prove it. We need to look for seismic activity in your area <laughs> first and make sure that didn't cause it to move. But we have shit fall off our shelves all the time, and I always make a joke. A joke. I'm like, oh, it's no <laughs> a joke. A joke. If you will. a joke ghost. <laughs> I always say it's no box ghost. Because Nilbog used to knock shit off of the, the, the shelf all the time. Jesse's gonna choke. Anyway, sorry guys. That's oh. awesome. I think ghosts. You, you have do. A joke. I think it's Nilbog's ghost. Well, should we 
Yeah. Get into yeah. the story. We've talked about some mental health stuff today, including potentially seeing things or creating <laughs> delusional stories, um, things like that. But but I, I'm kind of curious how all of that applies yeah. to yeah. your story. So this I was inspired a couple weekends ago to start this story that turned into a different story um, by a weird coincidence that happened one weekend it, where I encountered... Three separate instances of fiction where someone was murdering people because the tragic loss of a loved one and they were seeing and hearing that loved one who was encouraging them to kill for like revenge or one of them was like, because we can't rest until you kill other people. And so I decided, I wonder if that's true. If people have done that in real yeah. life. Spits up, Hannah. Can I ask what the three instances of fiction were? Um, they were all British, oddly enough. <laughs> um, two different books okay. that I read and a show that I can't remember now. Like when I was starting to write this this week, I was like, what the hell did I watch that inspired this? I just know I watched something. And and, and the third one, the, what I watched on TV was the, the third one. And I was like, what the fuck is this weekend about? Like <laughs> evil loved ones encouraging their, their family members to kill. <laughs> like, so what I realized as I started looking is that I couldn't find a single real life example of that happening. Now, I'm sure it has. And I would be even more inclined to think it has. But the person never disclosed that. Maybe they didn't want people to think they were crazy because one of the things I read. So I did read up on grief hallucinations, though. So grief hallucinations are a thing. It's very common, especially when the loss is traumatic or very sudden. um, And it is very common in people who then have PTSD. Not very common, but then people who have PTSD triggered from that trauma can then have these hallucinations. And they might be hearing a loved one and talking back to them. They might be seeing the loved one. Um, But everything I found, they made it seem like, but they still know they're dead, which I don't think is always true because these stories went into the realm of then they didn't think their loved ones were dead anymore. They thought they were there, spurring them on, pushing them. They had to, like, they knew they were dead, but they didn't know. You know what I mean? Like, they knew they lost them. They knew what the tragedy was. But they weren't really dead. Right. Yeah. So so I couldn't, I'm sure there are real instances, but I couldn't find any. But it set me on this spiral then of the insanity defense. Ooh. And uh, specifically with people who have delusions okay. or hallucinations. So that's why I kept saying, guys, like this, mm. like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> So, yeah, so weird coincidence that I saw three of the same kind of story in one weekend. Serendipity. It must, and I bet those are probably the only three I'll see for two, three, four years. Who yeah. knows, right? <laughs> like, um, but anyway, so before we get into the actual story, I want to start out with some definitions so that we're all kind of on the same playing field with some of the terms I'm going to talk about today. Um, specifically, hallucination, delusion, and malingering. Okay. Malingering. I like that. Mm. So a hallucination, and th- this isn't the Webster's Dictionary definition, so if you go look it up, it may be a little different, but this is my definition that I put together from several different papers and journals and articles and things like that about a hallucination. 
I actually read so much, you guys, because I'm such a nerd about the brain. <laughs> and I had I could have like seven stories out of everything I read. But anyway, Jess reads the most out of all of us for her stories. <laughs> I Absolutely, it's I don't think Kelly I've read it all there with you though. Yeah, I've not read a single book in like three years ever. <laughs> so, what is a hallucination? A hallucination is when someone sees or hears something or someone that is not there. They can be auditory or visual. There's something called command hallucinations where the voices tell the person who is ill to complete certain actions. So they order them to do things. They command them. So it's not just like I hear my dead husband talking about the weather. It's I hear a voice that says, kill that guy over there kind of thing delusions are more like an incorrect interpretation of reality and that's my own phrase i came up with that myself <laughs> i like that for example firmly believing that the government is watching them which would also be a paranoid delusion so there are paranoid delusions and then just delusions it's weird. I didn't find a lot of things on just delusions, though. It all kind of seemed to lean towards paranoid delusions, which is interesting. That makes sense. I think when what you're talking about that. What was the definition that... again? I'm writing it down so that I don't get confused. So a, de <laughs> a delusion is more like an incorrect interpretation of reality. So a hallucination is seeing something or someone that's not there or hearing something or someone that's not there and nobody else hears or sees it. A delusion isn't necessarily a visual or auditory representation. It's a belief you have in your head that is incorrect from reality. So someone who is hearing the voice of a dead loved one and also doesn't believe they're dead, they think they're still alive, that's a delusion and hallucination. Both. And you had said you found little um, examples, few examples of people with just delusions that weren't paranoid. Unnamed person we knew from high school mm. is somebody who had delusions, unless she really was an alien from another planet. I mean, I'm still not. I'm still on the fence about that. But I mean, I was best friends with her brother, so I'm on the fence, too. <laughs> if it wasn't real, then those would be delusions that weren't paranoid. Right. Well, and like delusions of grandeur, too. That's, I think, the most. Oh, yeah. OK. One of the most common examples outside of paranoid delusions where you like believe that you're better than you actually than are you actually are yeah <laughs> or that you're like destined and for what's funny great. destined for greatness and what's yeah. funny is that was brought up in some of the stuff i read about this making this grandiose kind of story up did you have something belly oh just as a delusion um would it be like how i walk around in every part of my life thinking that everybody who interacts with me hates me is that a delusion <laughs> <laughs> Potentially a mind. Hmm. Do you truly believe that? That's the thing. A delusion no, is really. something somebody <laughs> truly believes. You really believe they, that it's. I did in high school. Uh, well, but maybe, that might uh, just be high school. I, mean, high school. <laughs> I think we all feel like that in high school. <laughs> all right, Jess. All right. So the last definition is malingering. And this one I did have to look up. I kind of knew because I'm dumb and nerdy. A little bit hallucination versus delusion. Is this like melancholy? No. Okay. <laughs> this is how you actually pronounce it. Malingering. Um, <laughs> malingering is when someone either exaggerates or fakes illness to get out of something. Oh. This could be as simple as someone pretending to be sick to get out of work or other responsibilities. Oh. Mm, I 
have I seen that Don't before? Don't look at me. <laughs> or, Hannah's over here looking at me. Or to the extreme, it could be someone blaming mental illness on a crime that they committed. Kind of like the classic, the devil made me do it. Oh, or you mean okay. blaming a crime on the mental illness? Blaming the mental il- illness on a crime? Blaming mental illness for, for the crime. For the crime. crime. For the crime, if I didn't say it that way. So blaming mental illness for the crime that okay. they committed. Got it. And it gets difficult, right? This is where we start to get tricky with the insanity defense because you can't prove mental illness. You can't prove that you're actually having these hallucinations. Yeah. You can't prove that or, or nobody can prove that you know your delusion about the government spying on you isn't real because it is real you can't so <laughs> everybody's got a cell I mean, phone a, they're okay. spying on you okay. <laughs> off topic but um i i think that's why because like the insanity defense is truly meant to be do you believe what you did was wrong do you know the difference between right and wrong not so much and i think that it gets like messed up in people's minds if they don't know a whole lot about the justice system in america but it's not like do you have delusions it's do you know if you were wrong you you are jumping i'm so sorry no that's okay (laughs) but we're actually going to talk about that a little we're not going to talk about it a lot now um i i mentioned that and i'll mention it again and then i want to share the story of a young man with you and then we can come back to that and what we think of that and i'm not going to tell you what i think of that until we're done (laughs) All right. Malingering and non-malingering does become important when evaluating someone for the mental capacity to be found criminally responsible. And it's hard. There are all sorts of tests and scales that psychiatrists and psychologists use that have been standardized through lots of um, case studies and tests and things. But it's still it's not concrete like a dna sample is so sometimes people have trouble believing that when the doctor's talking about someone and why they believe that they truly are mentally ill i think this is part of the reason that mental illness has been somewhat ignored for so many Mm -hmm. years and then not necessarily had the kind of attention that it's needed. Even now, as we're recognizing that it's a real thing, it's still because it is a subjective thing. It's like you've got to take somebody's word. And even just something as simple as being like depressed or having Mm -hmm. ADHD or something like that, like your therapist can only do so much as you're willing to put in also. And if somebody isn't honest or truthful, then then that, you yep. know what I mean? Like it's right. so the, easily construed. Right. The, the person has to do or say something to even make somebody think they might have this kind of delusion issue. If you don't tell anybody about it, then you can get away with it or not get away with it, but nobody would ever know, yeah. including mental health professionals. But there are lots of tests that they do. To de- and lots of obvious things that happen with people who are faking mental illness because they don't really know what it's like. Yeah. What I'll, I'll highlight in here as we go on is that we the population as a whole has a skewed idea of what someone who has paranoid delusions and might be classified as paranoid schizophrenic actually behaves like and, and we'll so talk about that a little later it. we'll talk about that a little later okay so i'm telling i'm giving all the people out here 
how you can fake being schizophrenic, I guess, <laughs> right? To our like 70 Yeah, but listeners. at the same time, you're pointing out the fact that you can't really fake it unless you know what it's like. So like we can give you the ways to fake it. You still won't be able to, mm-hmm. right? You still won't be right. able to pull it off. Before we start our 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 case study, I just feel smart <laughs> saying that. I want to lay out the in black and white to the most basic level what has to happen to be found criminally insane currently in the United States. And it's two questions, basically. Did you commit this murder? So we're going to use murder as example. But did you commit this crime? Yes. Did you know it was wrong? Yes. Not mentally ill. Yeah. They're guilty. So that's our current definition. Okay. For our case study, we're going to look at the case of Kip Kinkle. Now, I know that I am one of the loudest on here about don't say killers' names, right? We don't need to give them any glory. But, but in this Kip- instance, it's I'm not focusing on the murder. I'm focusing on the drive behind it, which means we have to talk about the killer. Yeah. So and I just the wanted name. To put I'm that sorry. There. The name, too, must be said. Yeah. <laughs> Kip, Kinkle. Kip Kinkle. I also think that 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 mentality of like don't say the killer's name is most important in instances where the killer is trying to get yes. some kind of infamy. Yes. In other scenarios like we say killer's names on here all the time which I in order to fully tell the story it's just like don't say the killer's name more than you say the victim's name I think. Is the most well, important. Or don't thing. ignore and, the victims. Yeah. <laughs> well, and for me, I think that we might never reach a place where we don't share the names of the folks who want to be infamous if we share any names. How do you draw that distinction? Yeah. So in my mind, I want to just stop talking about them unless it's a very specific point I'm trying to make kind of thing. Yeah. That's just me. I'm not expecting you guys to do that. <laughs> I'm just better than you. <laughs> that is not what no, I, I know. said. I'm kidding. I know. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> is that what you thought I meant? No, 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 no. Oh, Okay. Back to Kip Kinkle. (laughs) Part of the reason I wanted to do this one was I actually found the complete transcript of the of the psychiatrist for the defense at his sentencing hearing, including the cross examination. So I was able to read the entire testimony that the psych I can't remember if he was a psychiatrist or a psychologist now. And I I just realized here I did not include his name in the article (laughs) in the article love when you can find court transcripts that's my favorite thing mm-hmm. i know it was fascinating it's so dry and boring but to some people but i love it i'm like even halfway through i was oh, i'm getting a little tired but i can't stop <laughs> it, it was long enough it started to get a little overwhelming but i couldn't even stop reading it it was fascinating <laughs> kip kinkle was a 15 year old on may 20th 1998 in Springfield, Oregon. Unbeknownst to family and friends, Kip had been hearing voices since he was 12. He never told anyone because he knew they would think he was crazy or think he was, as he put it, mentally retarded. There were three distinct voices that spoke to Kip and would tell him, voice A would tell him to kill everybody. It was a command voice, told him to kill. Voice B would tell him how stupid and worthless and what a piece of shit he is. And then voice C would just echo whatever voice A and voice B said over and over and over again. Sounds fun. The voices were loud and angry and mean and aggressive, yelling at him, pushing him. 
During this time, he also started to develop delusions. One crazy story that he told that his psychiatrist (laughs) shared in his testimony goes something like this. I'm paraphrasing it. But Kip was out riding his bike and he came upon a car on the side of the road that had a little triangle thing out to, you know, hey, I'm here, don't hit me kind of thing. And as Kip rode by on his bike, he kicked the little triangle. Now, according to Kip, the man who was on the side of the road with the car became furious. Kip also mentioned that the car was full of bullet holes. He said the man came up to him screaming and demanding $40 because he kicked over his triangle or he was going to kill Kip. Kip just biked off as fast as he could, freaked out. He didn't give him $40, didn't have $40. He says then the man started following him. And finally, the last thing he says about this delusion he has is that one day while at a gas station with his mom, the same car still full of bullet holes pulled up, but a different man got out and came after him screaming. He wanted $40 because Kip kicked his triangle. So he was saying it like he was the first guy, but Kip says, no, this was a different guy. So, and his mom was there. You'd think his mom would have noticed him being accosted yeah. By a crazy guy, if this really happened. So that was one very detailed delusion that Kip had. And one thing that his psychiatrist said through his testimony was that these very specific, involved, and precise stories that they stick to are very common. Now, at his age, he won't have quite as well thought out delusions. But as he gets older, if he's not treated, then then they become... You know, they become like the people we shouldn't make fun of, but we do like the foil hat people. And if you ever really talk to any of them, their story, their their fear, their paranoia never changes. They, it's the same. They just become more paranoid and build yeah. upon it. Banana. Um. So did that actually happen or was that an instance of like a hallucination mixed with a delusion? So from what I read was never pro- there it was never proven to be true there was nothing to indicate it ever was true so it, the psychiatrist said it was a hallucination delusion okay well and the whole because you knocked over my triangle i mean and that's, that is yeah. a weird like mm-hmm. where what situation would you be in where some guy would be like you knocked over my triangle you owe me 40 bucks and then follow you around like what triangle and like the, what is a triangle and the, you know what i mean and the brown car full of bullet holes yeah, yeah. so I still and the different guy acting like he was the first guy i mean it is very i still can't help but think maybe this is insensitive but i want my two dollars Nobody ever gets it. Another strong delusion he had that his sister reported. So this was something he shared with many people. I never found anything to say if he shared his other delusions with people, but he definitely shared this one. He also had some extreme ideas about Disney and their plan to take over the world. Which, well, in a weird way, he wasn't, he wasn't that wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but the things he were saying were very, very outlandish about sex cults and and uh, slowly taking over the government and things like that. Very, but he believed it was true. And no, Disney hasn't taken over the government. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that they're not on their way there. And they I'm have... also not convinced that every person who is involved in a major corporation, not every person, but at least every corporation has one person involved in a sex cult. 
who's <laughs> making decisions for that corporation. You that, can't convince me otherwise. That is assuming there are a lot, a lot, a lot of sex cults. No, out I think there. there's just yeah. one. I think there's just one, and everybody's really involved think there's in just it. One. No, I'm like they got rid of it. <laughs> no, Nexium. they didn't. No, they didn't. And Hesh will tell you otherwise. Yes, but how delusional is she? I don't think she was. Maybe. I actually did a little, I saw a TikTok that got me on a rabbit hole and I did a deep dive and I think Anne Hesh was killed. I, think I don't so think too. I really she do. was so fucking delusional totally at all. not part of this, guys. Nope. Not delusional we at all. We talked enough. I know, I'm sorry. Earlier, <laughs> I'm going to be a strict taskmaster yeah, now. no worries. Should have brought my ruler. Smack. <laughs> Whatever your views are on Disney, his views in 1998 were so outlandish they bordered on delusional, if not fully delusional. And he would rant about them. And his psychi- the psychiatrist who testified when he was interviewing him, his sister had told the psychiatrist about ask him about Disney. And when he asked him about Disney, he was like, oh, let me tell you. And he just went on and on. Very, very um, convinced. Yes. He also believed the government put a chip in him and was actually causing the voices. So the government was making him hear things. Okay. And encouraging him to do things. It just, it very much reminds me of like QAnon supporters. Yes, me too. Which I think, uh, the quick, quick tangent, very quick, (laughs) very brief. (laughs) Um, I think that not enough people. Like, like you said, we kind of make fun of those kind of people who have these delusions. Not enough people recognize that they are delusions and that a lot of the time it grows from a type of mental illness, right. whatever that may be. And so instead of like laughing at these people who believe so strongly these well, horrific things are happening, like there needs to be something done to help those people instead of just like laughing it off and saying oh they're crazy totally bell you can go first well i think a lot of it too because i was about to make the joke that like with my deep-seated mistrust of the government a lot of the things that he's talking about i've genuinely considered as truth (laughs) and i think that there's a lot to be said about that too with like the the rise of like all these conspiracy theorists and stuff is i think has a lot more to say about the government, you know, and just like how well, how much they have, how much I don't know. distrust they've yeah, created. like created yeah. for themselves, um, and how little like it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, mm-hmm. nobody fucking trusts them. Oh yeah, you know, like <laughs> I think you both make excellent points, and I think another thing to consider is that a lot of the people who you have to remember, there's always someone leading it. There's always that first person. And you never know if that per- first person is truly delusional or if they're just trying to gaslight people. People are assholes. Yeah. But they put it out where very naive, impressionable people will find it. And mm-hmm. if they are predisposed to being impressionable like that and latching on to ideas, then they're going to cr- adopt that delusion for themselves. I have a question. What year was this? The- 1998. So, like, the internet was, like, just barely a thing. Mm-hmm. And forum chats and all of that kind of stuff. And all kinds of places, places for crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, just for uh-huh. misinformation. And it's it started very early it when did. the internet was yeah. young. This is and prime it's just been... Time too. <laughs> Reading. And, and don't get me prime wrong. Prime art bell time. 
I don't know what coast to coast. You don't know who oh, Art Bell is. Oh. Art Bell I understand. Was the... Grandpa would no, just I know. No, I get it. I just wasn't understanding. Yeah, no. Prime Art Bell time. I remember people he didn't have oh. as much internet. They listened to his just, show and it was oh full of conspiracy theorists. Grandpa, and a listened. lot of them oh, were delusional. Yeah. I think. And don't get me wrong. Some conspiracy theories have a ring of truth to them or started with a truth and then spiraled. And not all people that believe conspiracies are delusional either. There are people who believe conspiracies, but not like to the level of dilute. Like you have to go that extra step to be delusional. Like I can believe that there are aliens, but if I believe that aliens have come down and put chips in my brain Maybe, yeah. I'm maybe, like, but, you know, maybe I'm delusional. Like, but you know, maybe I'm delusional, right? It That's why I said maybe, Belle. Talk about stuff like this really makes me think of that movie, A Beautiful Mind. I don't yes. know who's seen that movie, I'm but not. I had, I actually did a, a research paper in my one of my psychology classes that focused on that movie. Just because, and one thing that I draw from that is that there was like so much of his life that was like bordered on truth. Like so much of his delusions had a truth to them, but they just became, when they were unchecked, they just became so overwhelming that they took on a life of their own. So like conspiracy theorists, I kind of, that become delusional, I kind of view in the same way. There's like a level of truth that starts that delusion. Because I believe that, most the majority of things are not born out of nothing somebody hears something and interprets it a certain way that allows it to take off into a bigger conspiracy and then they start creating things that fit that conspiracy i think that's a big thing too is the the creation whether they know it or not they think they're not creating it but they're creating all these things to add to it to support their delusion right it's just like i read somewhere that when you dream, even when you dream of, quote, strangers, every face that you see in your dream is a face that you have at some point in your waking life seen because cool. your brain does not have the ability to create a face. I, think awesome. I don't know how much, like, if that's 100% true because they also say you can't read in your dreams, and I normally can't, but I've had dreams where I have read before. So was it a dream? Was it lucid dreaming? Is that an actual factual? Huh. But... It's kind of the same thing. Like your brain can't necessarily create a delusion that doesn't have some foundation Mm -hmm. to it. From the age of 12, I should say before Kip was 12, there were some instances of outbursts and violence, but they weren't super extreme, put it that way. After the age of 12, after he started hearing these voices, he began to display... Um, extreme outbursts of anger. One example I read about, he was at a friend's house, a friend who was talked to later and said that Kip's a fine guy. He's he's normal. You know, he's not scary. He was at that friend's house and misplaced one of his knives and couldn't find it and flew into a rage, eventually throwing something and putting a hole in the wall. And when they talked to his friend afterwards, he said it was like a different person. It was like totally not even Kip anymore. Yeah. And the thing about these outbursts is they they're like a flash. So they happen without real warning. And then after a not too long period of time, they're gone. And it's over. Mm hmm. Yeah. And Kip's a normal guy again to a certain extent. I mean, he's still delusional. He's still hearing voices, but he just hasn't told anybody. 
So he probably seems weird to other people, but just like he does weird. Yeah, he does. And and it even evolved beyond that as as he got closer to age 15. Some of his delusions became um, threatening to him. So he firmly believed that China was going to nuke America and send all their forces to invade us. He wished he'd had the money to build a bomb shelter, but he had to get guns and knives to protect himself for when this happens. He started learning about explosives, he says, so so he could build bombs to have on hand to use when this happens. So he actually built two bombs and they found them with all this. And he he said it was to defend himself when the Chinese came. Mm. So he was getting more and more paranoid as he got older and he was accumulating weapons and he had a fascination with weapons and bombs and all that kind of stuff in his mind because he had to protect himself. Still scary. It is. I mean, cause you don't, and, and that's what he says too, right? Again, we go back to that point where you can't prove this is what he thought, Yeah. but you can observe his behavior. And more often than not, you can tell when people are being untruthful it's one of the things, I mean, I say this for talking to customers on the phone. Tell the truth. People can tell when you're lying. The truth is always consistent because you don't have to think about it. It's just there. Yeah, that's why like, lies those, you have to keep up with. That's why those psychology tests that they do, like the psychological evaluations, ask you the same question mm-hmm. just like five different ways because. Yep. So to make sure that you're yeah. consistent in your answers. Um, one of the things I wasn't going to talk about it in here and we'll talk about malingering versus non-malingering and faking versus not faking a little more later but there was a study done a while back where they told a group of students all the symptoms and how to pretend like um, you have paranoid schizophrenia and then they gave them one of those tests and told them to answer as if you have this mental illness. And the funny thing about it is most people who are actually paranoid schizophrenic score, I think it was under 50 people who were told to answer like you have that mental illness scored like 77 on average. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they scored so high was actually more telling than anything because you have to pretend like you have a mental illness that you don't but then you have to pretend like you're hiding a mental illness that you don't have well and to be able to score the well, same as somebody who has that and is trying to hide it and also because they're answering essentially yes to every single possible symptom someone uh, yeah. with that mental illness could have and i know we know this i don't know if our listeners know this but Every mental illness presents differently. And so you may have some of the symptoms and not others. You may have similar symptoms to a friend, but a couple different ones who has the same mental illness diagnosis you have. So when somebody has everything. Yeah. Even to the point where in my personal life, like there's been points of time where I've had, you know, struggled with like the same kind of mental illness, but it's manifested in a different way. From the last time I've dealt with it. And so the idea that like every person experiences this mental illness Mm -hmm. in this way is so silly because I don't even experience my mental illness the same way. (laughs) Well, and one of the tests or one of not it's not a test, but it's basically a standardized way of evaluating paranoid schizophrenia. And they have like first level symptoms, second level 
and uh, you have to have a certain number of each kind. But if you have any first level symptom, then you can automatically diagnose that. So those are like the extreme ones. So even if somebody only had delusions, they would paranoid die. delusions, that's a first level symptom. And yeah. I can't remember. I didn't put a lot of that in here because I didn't want to be too technical about this. So if you go out there and look, I forget what the test was. It's like, um, or not the test, but the compare. It's like, I don't know. But look it up. <laughs> Just Google it. Because I didn't want to bore you guys with technical stuff if you're not interested. So if you're interested, be like me and go look it up when you're done listening. <laughs> just being mean and... and uh, Leave me alone. <laughs> just, just being... I'm Jess. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that every time you introduce me now. I'm Jess. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's perfect. Now, while all of this is happening, the things that people are seeing, the minor... Th- the, the outbursts and things like that, Kip is essentially at war with himself. He is doing everything he can to fight these voices. He does not want to kill people. He doesn't want to, but the voices keep telling him. And this is something that's going to come up later. Remember the definition, or not the definition, but the criteria, uh, black and white, to meet the insanity requirements. He doesn't want to kill. He knows he shouldn't kill, but the voices keep telling him. Yeah. He knows it's wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's so that's the debate I think we're going to get in later. He was trying to ignore the voices, but they're getting louder and louder and more and more frequent. There was a period where he was on depression medication and started feeling better. But his psychiatrist never diagnosed him with anything other than depression. And in my opinion, and then he was feeling better and decided he wanted to come off it. And his doctor was like, yeah, you're doing better. Okay. Do, Stupid doctor. I'm sorry. Did, you don't just come off. That's like. Did he tell his? There's doctor, no cure. Did he tell his doctor <laughs> that he had delusions and stuff? So something interesting was both of his parents had various uh, extreme mental illness on both sides of their family. They never disclosed this to any of Kip's psychiatrists, and Kip did. Some of his psychiatrists did mention that he that Kip said he was hearing voices, but he still only ever got diagnosed with depression. That sounds a lot like what it's like to try to get mental illness care today. Yep. Everybody's <laughs> just getting diagnosed with depression and put on meds and that's it. That's yeah. the end of it. Good luck out there. Uh-huh. The other thing that's so hard, though, too, is the crossover. I have a lot of trouble distinguishing what symptoms of mine are anxiety and what's your depression because there's crossover. Well, yeah. and for me, a lot of my mental illness just like feeds each other and then it just yes. like compounds and they just like love to gang up on me. During this time, Kip discovered a Nine Inch Nail song and I was really stupid and did not write down the name. Uh, but it's a Nine Inch Nail Guess, song <laughs> that talks about hearing voices. He latched onto it right away because in his mind, he went, it isn't just me. The fact that there was a song where they mentioned hearing voices, he just related to that. Somebody else is going through what I'm going through. And he specifically related to a line in that song um, that says, God damn this voice inside my head. The song, the lyrics that they showed are something like, Alice, hold on. Maybe it wasn't Alice, but hold on. You're slipping. I'm coming for you. God damn this voice inside my head or something like hmm. that. We somebody can Google it and mention I'm it later. Google it, but I thought for sure I'd fucking know it. I know. Yeah. I was like, damn. Um, me too. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> 
So we believe no. the song is <laughs> becoming or the becoming. That's what we think. But we're not sure. <laughs> he began saying that phrase to himself. He was so frustrated and wanted the voices gone so bad. He would say to himself all the time, God damn these voices inside my head. To the point where um, in earlier in the year, I forget exactly how long it was. I don't think they said exactly how long it was before the May 20th that I mentioned so ominously before. He had an outburst in class where he he just screamed, God damn these voices inside my head um, and was reprimanded for it. And that's kind of important because with with a lot of people who hear voices, as they start to experience um, negative reactions to them, punishment, bad things happening, the voices get stronger. And, you know, so Mm -hmm. so he's starting because of the voices, he's starting this pattern of of poor behavior that is causing more and more trouble for him. And also at the same time, these voices are getting louder and more insistent and more persistent. Despite his best efforts, Kip was losing the battle against the voices in his head. It even got to the point where he was at risk of expulsion on May 20th. So I had mentioned before that Kip was increasingly paranoid about an invasion and a destruction of the U.S. and had started buying weapons. On May 20th, Kip purchased a weapon from one of his classmates. It was a handgun. This handgun actually was stolen by that friend from a different classmate. Oh. And then he sold it to Kip, and the father obviously called, and he gave them some names of who he thought might have stolen it. Kip wasn't actually one of them. Kip only had this gun because he bought it from the guy who did steal it. But somehow through talking to the kids that the father thought might have taken it, Kip's name comes up and Kip was totally honest. He, he even said, I'm going to be honest with you. The gun's in my locker in a paper bag. Well, that's a felony. Yeah. And so he was at risk of expulsion and actually supposed to attend an expulsion hearing, I believe on the 21st, but an expulsion hearing was coming up. Is he still 15 at this point? Yes. Okay. So so he was 15 on May 20th. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. I, I know, I kind of buried that in there at the beginning and made you forget about it. <laughs> Obviously, Kip was suspended pending that hearing, picked up by his dad. His dad was extremely disappointed. This was Kip's second felony. I tried really hard, but I couldn't find out what his first felony was, which I thought was really weird, probably because he's a minor, mm-hmm. right? You know, he's a minor. The only reason... It's you a can see this record, yeah. yeah. The only reason you can see this one is because of the magnitude of it. His parent, his dad even threatened, he said, we'll have to send you to military school if you don't shape up kind of thing. That's always a good idea. Send the mentally ill to the army. <laughs> but here's here's the problem, though. I don't think his parents, if they knew, they ignored it. They didn't want it to be. Like, they hid yeah. their family's mental health history from his psychiatrist's. Right. His psychiatrist said he mentioned hearing voices, but they never did anything about it. So this poor kid, I think, especially 1998, was undiagnosed. His parents had no clue how to handle him because mental illness back then was still so. Yeah. So um, what's the word I want? Taboo. Stigmatized. Stigmatized. Thank you. Well, it makes me wonder if his parents were just like trying to, 
even ignore the fact that they themselves were struggling with mental yeah. illness. In the you 90s. You know what I mean? Like totally they impossible. didn't want to admit that their kid had this mental illness because then they would have to address Theirs. the things that they were going through. Well, and also if they, even if they have severe mental illness and they have not ever done anything violent or like paranoid and delusional, then they might and they don't understand the full extent of his paranoid delusions, then they're like, well, I got through it, and here's how, and I'm going to make you get through it the same right. way, yeah. too. People can have paranoid delusions and hear voices and have hallucinations that don't drive them to kill. Yeah. So if his parents had them and they weren't angry and aggressive like these are, they yeah. may not understand what he's going through. Yeah. Now, at this time, after he'd come home with his dad... And his dad had threatened with military school. Kip says the voices were raging inside his head, telling him that he was worthless, a disgrace, and that he had to kill everyone. He had no other choice. Mm. The voices were telling him, you have no other choice. I have no other choice. At about 3 p.m. on the 20th of May, 1998, Kip went upstairs and retrieved his gun. Now, there are some conflicting reports on this because, like, the official report, or not official report, but the most, I mean, the most official I could find, which were the transcripts. Obviously, I don't have access to actual police reports. During cross-examination, the prosecution asked the psychiatrist, because, of course, the prosecution is trying to prove he's not mentally ill. What about the fact that he got... um, pieces of the crime scene wrong or something like that because he said he went and got his 22 rifle but according to autopsies and ballistics he actually used a 22 pistol and so the prosecution tried to say that meant he was faking because he said it was a 22 rifle sorry you can they can see me rolling my eyes giving away my position on this case (laughs) And, but then on Wikipedia, it says he went and got his rifle. So it's kind of that contradicting stuff. I know Wikipedia is not gospel, but I'm just saying there is contradiction there compared to the court transcripts. <laughs> and in in a case where you were admitting that you have done this thing, why is something so trivial as like mistaking the word rifle for handgun, like such an important aspect of that? Well, and why does that mean you're not delusional? It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, why does getting the gun wrong <laughs> yeah. mean you're not delusional? Also, like, when you're going through those kinds of, like, delusions and, and like, spells, you're not going to always be fully conscious. Right. You yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, having, ha- like, the chances yes. of you even being able to tell the difference in that moment when you're going through such distress. I mean, think how hard it is for us and we're only moderately yeah, mentally. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah, he's already having auditory hallucinations pretty much constantly like <laughs> i mean how much i i couldn't pay attention with people talking in my head all the time i, I just, wouldn't know what the fuck's going on I around just me think about it as like when i was having my like partial seizures oh yeah you know i mean i know it's not the exact same but just like the lack of awareness that i had of my mm-hmm. real life you know it's like i don't know can't well imagine. and i think that you goes could with have the- done something that you weren't necessarily fully aware that you were doing yeah. in the real world that uh-huh. could have had consequences and like yeah. killing somebody. <laughs> and yeah. something that you wouldn't normally do if you weren't at the time afflicted by your illness yeah yeah and i think the thing is is like we can find proof that you have epilepsy mm-hmm. right we can't find proof there's nothing in the brain that looks different I mean, there's nothing anywhere that tells other than behavior that it's tells not easy us. to find proof 
I gotta yeah. be like asleep, <laughs> and true. they gotta find the brain waves like at the moment that I'm having seizure activity, true. and then they'll be like, okay. <laughs> that is a fun idea, though. I've always wanted to like get an MRI where I think about different things and then look at what part of my brain lit up when yeah. I was thinking about. Totally. I'm in love. Grandpa died. Who are you? <laughs> well, like, leave me alone. But there is some evidence that like if you look at the brain of like a person with major depression who've they've had major depression their whole life versus the brain of someone who isn't afflicted with that like there are small differences yeah like subtle differences totally. different places will light up but, in but also that's what i yeah. was gonna say the... in 1998 and also as an adolescent so here's yeah. the yeah. biggest thing about diagnosing adolescents is they exhibit a wide array of symptoms that make it hard to pinpoint what is i hate i don't know why i hate using the word afflicting but what is afflicting them so even at 15, Kip looks like he's have he's paranoid schizophrenic. They can't officially diagnose him as that until he's older because he's still got to settle into whatever. And so it's weird. It's just like growing, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and your brain isn't fully developed till you're 25. So why would your mental illness be fully developed before you're 25? That's true. Yeah. That's why I think that uh, most That's people with schizophrenia. So <laughs> I think that's why most people with schizophrenia doesn't start presenting itself until their early 20s because like their brain's yeah. developing at that point yeah i it's very it's it i've heard that late teen years is when it starts yeah, like, like 17 late, early 20s the very very mild basic symptoms yeah. and and then so I it is unusual though that he started hearing voices at 12 there's something going there on there is with a specific childhood schizophrenia yes. that was probably what he had because i just read an article on a girl who had mm-hmm. they she had symptoms from birth oh, of schizophrenia and it's not very common but there yeah. is that childhood schizophrenia no. i there, think what it is is that they say if you haven't developed symptoms by like your early to mid 20s then you, then probably you don't, don't have, have it. unless yeah. <laughs> like you will see things like another unnamed person who but i but there's like the issue that she had a head trauma oh yeah and she also had a history of drug use that we're not really clear emotional trauma and what Mm -hmm. that does to some people there's also a family history of schizophrenia so it's like she probably had that latent gene that never manifested until until that happened but that happened to her in her Mm -hmm. like early 30s i think late 20s early 30s Well, and traumatic brain injury can cause so many different things to go wrong. Yeah. I mean, think about the fact that you could hit your head and forget who you are. No shit. No shit. Right? Like, <laughs> I know it's like a cliche movie, but it really does happen to some people. When you said that in that way, it like made me terrified in a way that I've never been terrified of that before. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I did not mean to terrify no, you. But I, got, I got like a, like a pit in my stomach. And I was like, what if I woke up and didn't remember who I was? And then I just like thought about how fucking scary that would yeah. be. And I won't <laughs> say my next, my next. No, go uh, for it. Well, not recognizing. Because people can have a seizure and wake up and not no, know who they great. are. Usually <laughs> it's having a really, really bad seizure. It has to be something typically that like reduces oxygen well, to your brain for a significant period of time i, woke I believe, up from my I believe. i'm not a doctor but i believe i woke up from my seizure in the emergency room and he asked me who the president was and i said obama <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious oh, no. 
Because it was still Joe. It was, it was Joe Biden. Biden yeah, right? yeah, we went this through a whole fucking Trump situation. <laughs> All right. Oh, funny. It was wishful thinking, I yes. guess. Yes. <laughs> I believe I left off with at about 3 p.m. on May 20th, 1998. Kip went upstairs and retrieved what he says is his 22 rifle, what the police say is a 22 pistol, and came downstairs. His father was sitting in the kitchen. And Kip shot his father in the back of the head. He then dragged his father's body into the bathroom and covered it with a sheet. I couldn't really find exactly what he was doing between 3.30 and about 6.30 when his mom came home, but he waited for his mom. When his mom came home, he met her at the garage, told her he loved her, and then shot her twice in the back of the head thrice in the face i just always want to use thrice whenever i can thrice in the face for those of you who don't know that means three times <laughs> thrice in the face and once in the heart he then dragged her body to the bathroom and covered it with a sheet he spent the rest of the night not the rest of the night but throughout that night he was home he spent time chatting in a group conversation with kids at school even at some points making comments to the effect of this kid i'd like to kill him um, and things like that. So this is something that came up in the, and we'll talk about this more later, but this is something that came up from the prosecution side. How can he be delusional, but then be having these conversations just like normal? And then he says he wants to kill someone, but then he's normal again. So they're trying to say that that means he's not delusional. He knows what he's doing because he's cognitive and has these conversations and says these things. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, when we talk a little more about the testimony from his psychiatrist. The next morning, the only, I couldn't find exact details about this, but it basically said the following morning. I don't have a time. I couldn't find a time he went and did his next thing. So this is kind of ambiguous. But essentially, when the police showed up later, when they discovered they needed to check on the house and his parents, um, there was a song playing on repeat that ha that Kip said he had on repeat all morning. That song was Liebstad by, from an opera by Wagner, Tristan and Isolde. It is also on the soundtrack of Baz Luhrmann's 1996 Romeo and Juliet. Oh. His classmates, oh. when talked to later, said that he had kind of become enamored with that movie and obsessed with that movie. Um, so he played that song, and I do have... A nine-second clip of it, if you guys kind of want to hear what. <laughs> sure. So, so yes. it's nine seconds under the copyright. <laughs> yes, because it's ten seconds. Okay, great. <laughs> and this is on Wikipedia, so. <laughs> How ominous! That is so eerie. So he played that on repeat. That's so the creepy. next morning. And all the while, the voices keep coming in and out and telling him he needs to kill more people. Oh, my God. That just, like, puts really I know, right? dark thoughts <laughs> to, in my To head. me, that says to me, like, he can't be not mentally ill to do that. Like, to me, yeah. that doesn't, doesn't scream, like, oh, you're sane and you just are crazy. Yeah. And you just don't care about but people. But that's it the problem. Screams, like, to me, it screams, like, he's sad now. 
about what he but did. But that's the problem, though, is that he could be diagnosed mentally ill. That doesn't mean that he was criminally, criminally insane. insane. Exactly. Right. Well, because it's so stupid and black and white. Yeah. But we'll talk yeah. about that more later. I just gave away my position, guys. <laughs> it's foreshadowing. Uh-oh. <laughs> also, during that time, he left a note explaining why he did what he did. And this also becomes important during sentencing and when we look at a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia. So this is what, this is a quote from the note that he left on a coffee table. I just got two felonies on my record. My parents can't take that, exclamation mark. It would destroy them. The embarrassment would be too much for them. They couldn't live with themselves. And then he it continues, and then towards the end he said, my head just doesn't work right. God damn these voices, all capitalized, inside my head. I have to kill people. I don't know why. I have no other choice. So this is something we'll talk a little bit about later, too, with the diagnosis, is, is the why behind it. Is there a reasonable, understandable motive for what they did? Yeah. Is embarrassing your parents motive enough for a average, let's say, person to kill their parents kind of thing. After that, he took his father's Ford Explorer and drove to Thurston High School. With him, he brought two knives, a rifle, so the same rifle he shot his dad and his, that he says he shot his dad and his mom with at the police that he didn't use. He took a 9mm Glock pistol and the 22 Ruger pistol that was his dad's with him. He also took 1,127 rounds of ammo with him. Wow. And he even taped ammo to his chest as a last resort in case he needed to kill himself. So he was planning on not not getting caught. Mm -hmm. I think at this point, this is just my interpretation, is that at this point, I think he wanted to die. He was so tired of the voices. He couldn't ignore them anymore. He couldn't resist them anymore. He didn't want to do what he was doing. And so he hoped that while doing it, he would die. Well, That's my also, interpretation. I don't know. I feel like, too, like what, like we were talking about the song that he was playing and stuff. Like, he had just killed his parents. It probably felt horrible. Yeah. Like, like especially if you felt like he didn't have a I choice. Mean, like, that he, means that he, like... I don't know. It's just really sad. Before he did anything to his mom, he said, I love you. Yeah. And that's, yeah. He parked two blocks from the school and continued on foot, entering through a patio entrance. Upon entering, he fired two shots, killing 16-year-old Ben Walker and wounding Ryan Attenberry. From there, he made his way to the school cafeteria, Um, One of the things the psychiatrist quotes from his um, interviews with Kip is that he said the voices just kept saying, go to the cafeteria. There's lots of people in the cafeteria. So the voices told him to go where there were a lot of people. Once he got to the cafeteria, as he walked across the length of the cafeteria, he fired from his 22 rifle and he fired 48 rounds. Oh, my God. He wounded 25 students including Mikhail Nikolasin, who died later from his wounds. There were a total of 300 students who were present for this event. So there were 300 people, 300 students witnessing this. When he, firing those 48 shots, um, emptied his gun. So when he went to reload, Jacob Riker, who was wounded, 
tackled Kip while he was trying to reload and had help from other students who then tried to subdue him. During the struggle, Kip was able to pull out his Glock and he got one shot fired off, which uh, wounded uh, Jacob Riker again and also wounded another student. Jacob Riker survived his wounds. So Jacob Riker was instrumental and actually received some heroism awards for for being the one to try to stop him first. Um, Ultimately, other students and Jacob were able to restrain him until police arrived. The whole time he was restraining them, he kept begging the students to just kill him. Just kill me. Just kill me. Then while in custody, he retrieved a hidden knife that he had on him and attempted to attack a police officer. Uh, The police officer was able to subdue him with pepper spray and Kip just kept telling him, shoot me, shoot me, just fatally shoot me. Like he even said, fatally shoot me. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about the trial, but I just want to mention this before we go on break. He didn't go to trial. Um, I believe he didn't have great counsel, but it was also 1998, insanity defense. He knew what he was doing he shouldn't do. So he actually pled guilty before he was even evaluated for his mental health. So he put in his plea before he had an evaluation is what I read online. So sometimes some of the stuff's hard to fact check. So but but that's what was out there. And he pled guilty. So really, the only testimony we have is from his sentencing trial. And I'll leave you with this. 15-year-old Kip Kinkle was sentenced to 111 years in prison without the chance of parole. Wow. Wow. And break. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, little shemmies. Thanks for tuning in. While we were on our break, I just wanted to let you guys know how you can get a hold of us if you wanted to send us an email with your spooky stories. I'm still waiting for you to tell me those so I could tell them to you. Our email is ffsthepodcast at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear from you on the various social media sites. We're ffsthepodcast on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us at E-F-F-E-D up storytime. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. We love you, Shemmies. And uh, back to the show. Especially with like the speed bumps. Can't tell what speed bumps and what's just a chunk of ice. So, all right. All right. We're back. And before we get back into the story, I do want to say one thing or touch on <laughs> one thing. <laughs> I'm Bless so sorry. you, <laughs> So our listeners might have noticed that we did not have an episode come out last week, and I don't think we ever really touched on how um, after the new year, we're going to kind of back off a little bit on um, our episodes, and you can expect us to release an episode Friday or Saturday each like the first three weeks of the month, and then we're going to take the last week off the... <laughs> Bless you again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and the reason for this is because we're hoping to work on some new things. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we all still have to work our jobs. So the only way we can find extra times is to kind of pull back from this project. So, but yeah, until you and, guys start paying us money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really. And also, 
we can be a bit overwhelming. So it might be good yeah. for listeners Maybe to we'll take like a break it. so that you can overcome our powerful presence and personalities even through your speakers yes. and reset. And one of the projects we're that a lot we're to gonna take. <laughs> we are a lot to take. One of the projects we're going to be working on is um, our Sims podcast, which we have uh, just started recording, and we're really excited. So stay yeah, tuned yeah, for yeah. that. And oh, and and the reason that I bring this up is just because I know some people. If you're like me, when you listen to podcasts, you know when they release and you are waiting for your next episode. And I feel like this last year we've been pretty consistent and I want you guys to know we are still going to be consistent, but that last, that fourth week of the month, we're going to take off, but we're still going to be here for you on a regular schedule. We're still in, still in the studio. We're creating new content. So yay. Woo-hoo! Yay. All right. You ready, uh, Jess? It's all you. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. All right. We left off at the break with Kip Kinkle's sentencing. Kip Kinkle at, at, was 15 year old, years old when he committed the crime, and he was sentenced to 111 years in prison without the possibility of parole. So I imagine he was tried as an adult then, not as I didn't, a minor. Well, he wasn't. He was, well, well, the weird thing is he wasn't tried, and so I couldn't find a yeah. lot about how he was tried because he pled guilty. Mm. He pled guilty um, because what what was it? It said it was because like he knew what he did was he like admitted yes I did this. he didn't want to do it to begin with he knew it was wrong yeah but he said I did it yeah so that's where it gets a little tricky I learned so much just by reading the court transcript of the um, testimony of his his uh, psychiatrist for the defense. Now he did have a few, he did have three psychiatrists. Of course the prosecution gets their own and the defense gets their own. And I want to talk a little bit about the misconceptions of mental illness and how, and what that does to our justice system and how we treat people who have, they have, an issue. I truly believe from everything I read, even the stuff from the prosecutor, that Kip Kinkle heard voices that told him to do things he didn't want to do. Yeah. And he got 111 years in prison. He didn't get sent to a center. We have forensic psychiatric centers. There are over 200 in the U.S. He didn't get sent to a center where he gets treated. They don't yeah. do medication really in prison. No. And so he's just in prison Probably just sitting in his cell, listening to the voices in his yep. head, telling him what a piece of shit he is. Yeah. And all of his appeals have been denied. That's that's crazy. Even appeals for ineffective counsel who let him oh. plead guilty without Before being evaluated. evaluated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway, mm. the first misconception I want to talk about is how many people, probably the majority of people, think that a paranoid schizophrenic is just crazy, illogical, and out of control all the time. In reality, most paranoid schizophrenics have very good cognitive ability. When they are not in an episode, they're very logical. They plan things. They're planners. And even when they're having those, the, those psychotic states, they're still planning. So one of the things people look at is like, well, he knew what he was doing because he planned it all. 
Well, yeah, he That's did. part of the illness. But it's part of the illness. Mm-hmm. They're not crazy. They're not insane the way we think of the word insane. They have episodes. I wonder, too, just kind of going back to what I was talking about before about his parents, if a lot of that comes from the fact that if people can hide it, they will. You know, and so there's so many people that you interact with on a regular basis that are mentally ill that are either not accepting it themselves or too concerned about, you know, to get treatment. Yeah, Even if you're in treatment and you have it under control, how many people walk around like us? We're Mm -hmm. weird people who walk around and be like, hi, (laughs) my name's Salem, I have ADHD, I'm depressed. (laughs) Tell every bus. But nobody wants to walk into their work and say, I hear voices. Yeah. What's going to happen to them? People are going to be afraid of them. Mm-hmm. They're not going to want to talk to them. They might not even keep their job. Yeah. It's like the, the and it's happened time and time again just throughout history, the villainization of people with mental illness. And more specifically, people with severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia, mm-hmm. like uh like sociopathy like psychopathy Uh, i was gonna say that like as deplorable as they are many i would say most serial killers had some sort of mental illness whether it's sociopath sequential killers i believe have to have some sort of underlying mental health issue now hitmen one-time killers things like that mafia people whatever i don't think they necessarily have a mental illness they have a lack of moral compass and they don't Mm -hmm. care about what they're doing but i think someone who's a serial killer let's say like jeffrey dahmer he has to have something crazy no i shouldn't say that because i'm stigmatizing myself (laughs) when i say that but i feel like to do that there's got to be something going on that's not average let's say with his mental health yeah i it's just it's a slippery slope it is because it, it does, it it villainizes people with any mil- mental illness when yeah. you... Which and that just adds things. to the stigma, which yeah. just prevents people which from seeking Which actually leads to a cool help. stat I have, guys. Okay. So there was an eight... There was a study done that incorporated eight states. I will admit I did not click on the study to see what the eight states were. I just <laughs> looked on the results. But um, this was actually something that the psychiatrist during his testimony brought up. One percent of all court cases plead insanity. Only one percent of all the court cases even try to plead insanity. Of those cases, only 26 percent of them have a success rate or are successful. That was a bad sentence. Successful. And of those 26 percent that are successful, 90 percent of those people were previously diagnosed with a mental illness. So here's the trouble. This is what I see. Only 20% or 6% of the 1% are successful. Those other percent, I'm, I would believe they're probably not pre-diagnosed. And so it's harder to prove that they yeah. did what they did because of their mental illness because there is no record of it. Well, and just the 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 criteria like you were talking about, earlier being so black and white Mm -hmm. of just the two questions did you commit this crime did you know it was wrong like we've seen in this instance Mm -hmm. you can have a mental illness and still have the moral wherewithal to understand that what you're doing is wrong that doesn't mean that you don't have a mental illness it's it's the same thing with people who compulsively eat couch cushions yeah they know they shouldn't they can't stop themselves and they it just like fuels you know, if left going unchecked, kind of like we were talking about earlier, just like fuels those negative mm-hmm. thoughts. Which, and it gets worse and worse. Yeah. 
I was going to say that you probably stand a greater chance of getting off using the insanity plea in like a crime of passion where you can prove that you absolutely lost all sense of reason because you can say in the moment, because the insanity plea does not mean somebody is insane. They don't have to prove that they are insane before it just means, or after it just the means at the, the time moment. of the They killing. have to prove that mm-hmm. at the time that the crime was committed, that they didn't know right from wrong. Well, and, it's really sad that somebody who would He's be 15. diagnosed as like schizophrenic, that's a major mental illness that causes a, a complete like m- misconstruction of the reality around you that they would not be found to be legally insane. But a woman who walks in on her fucking husband screwing his mistress and kills them both might. Right. Well, and... I personally believe the only reason he got so much was because it was a school shooting. Yeah. The thing that I th- I kind of thought was interesting, and I was about to speak for all of us when it's really just my brain, and I don't know if you guys agree, but I think in some ways society thinks of Columbine as the first big school shooting, but this was 1998. This was almost a year before Columbine we were seeing school shootings. Columbine was just so big because he had they had bombs and it lasted so long. Like he was well, it also quickly. had the media attention. Yes. But so that's a common misconception that if somebody can plan out and logically enact their act of violence, whatever it might be, or their criminal activity, that they must not be mentally ill. Oh, I was gonna say just on top of that, like you said, the the misconception is that you have to be like mentally ill the whole time to be mentally ill, even with depression. Like you go through episodes of depression. No one is depressed 100% of the well, time. Not no one, but for the majority well, of the time. most of the people that are don't last very long. Right. Well, <laughs> and in, I did, bitch. <laughs> and, and she said most, not all. <laughs> I know. You're just strong. <laughs> I was going to say, too, though, that like even with depression, like you were saying, it's not all the time. But even with certain types of de- depression or more specifically with like a bipolar disorder, you can have unhealthy, extreme highs of happiness too totally so it's not even like you're sad like i before i got my medication right there were days where i'd be trying to work and i would get it in my head that i just had to move the entertainment center and then i would move the heavy ass damn entertainment center by myself and rearrange things and not work because i couldn't that's called a think of anything else (laughs) yes so i'm familiar with those guys (laughs) i have those often at four o'clock in the morning i don't i wish i I had a manic episode maybe i get one thing done. no they're not fun oh but you don't do anything worthwhile no i did not need to get one thing done i did not need to reorganize rearrange my room i needed to do the dishes i can focus mine but the problem is, uh, I have a manic episode. I get a ton of shit done, and then the next two days, I don't you drop do anything yeah, I do because I those. feel like I'm so like when the highs are super high, the yeah, lows are super I low. I get that so much. Yeah, yeah. To recap, we just talked about the first big misconception, and that's that if you are paranoid, schizophrenic, having delusions, hearing voices, that you can't plan out your actions, that everything is haphazard and illogical, but in reality. We have to think again, these things, these voices, the delusions, they're not necessarily constant, right? The voices will be there and then you'll be fine and then they'll come back. And so we have to remember that just because somebody can have moments that seem incredibly, let's say, normal with air quotes doesn't mean they're not mentally ill. 
Another big misconception is that if you are hearing voices, then everything bad you do must be because of your mental illness. But that's not always true. In most cases, people might still do bad things, maybe shoplift. Doesn't And the voices didn't tell them to do that. They just chose to do that. So they're still just so people. They're still just people. And a lot of people think that if they know they did something wrong and it wasn't because of voices and they must not be mentally ill and it wasn't the voices who made them do what they did. But they have those moments. They're just people. And if they're not hearing voices, they're still capable of committing crimes or doing good. It just depends on the person. So that's another um, big one. Most people who hear voices don't want to hear the voices. That's the big thing, too. Most people don't want to do what the voices tell them to do. But yeah. they can't. Eventually, they reach a breaking point, essentially. Well, and I wonder, too, how much of it comes from, if I do these things, the voices will stop. Right. You They're know? trying like, to if I listen to them and I do what they tell me, then maybe they'll stop bothering right. me. Yeah. But they, but in reality, they just, just keep telling worse. you to do more. It almost gets worse, yeah, because you're feeding it. Um, I think that everybody at this table could probably understand this to a certain extent because I don't know about you, but I have a voice in my head a lot that tells me I'm stupid or tells me that I'm um, whatever, whatever I it think... is. Like, I'm stupid, I'm wrong, I can't do anything right. I have this voice in my head. That's what my but, voice but, tells me. But, but let I me think... ask you this. Is that voice kind of sound like you? Like you're kind of telling oh, no. yourself? Oh, no, and I understand it's different, but my point is is that I have this voice oh, in yeah. my head, I was and only... I fight it. I fight it constantly. Mm-hmm. I tell it to shut up. I tell, I make well, it say other things, or I, my, my voice says other things, and I struggle with this. Imagine having right. like this overpowering well, voice that you can't, that isn't even associated with your own personality. Right. Well, and I firmly believe you know the difference and how it's different. I was just highlighting that for listeners. I'm that sorry. like, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I was just highlighting that for listeners. I wanted you to say like, do you, does it feel like you? Because then that's different, so that the listeners can see like these voices that people hear don't sound like the person hearing them. They're different. Yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna say, kind of, you know, going off what you were saying. The little voice in my head doesn't necessarily tell me I'm stupid, but it'll tell me, like, for example, somebody will, like, will be at a restaurant. Somebody will get up to go to the bathroom. They'll, like, leave your phone on the table, and the voice in my head is like, steal it. Really? Steal the phone. Really? That's more along the lines of... uh... But it's my voice. It's it's more like a, like, would I be able to get away with stealing this phone? That's an intrusive thought that is pretty common with a lot of mental illnesses. And maybe you should mention it to your doctor. (laughs) It may be, it may be nothing, but I am a firm believer in telling your doctor everything and letting them decide what's nothing and what's something. And this is what my voice would say. Should have done that when I was having partial seizures for six months. My that same situation. I see somebody get up to go to the bathroom and leave their phone. My voice would say, "What a fucking moron that person! Idiot! They deserve to be hit by a car. Who leaves their phone out? It's gonna get stolen. Somebody's gonna take it." Yeah, by Bell. I should take it to teach them a lesson. That's what my brain does. That is what my brain does. I should take it to teach them. They shouldn't show, and then I'll give it back and be like, "See," but then I never do it because I don't want to actually get talk. punched. <laughs> I don't want to actually talk to them and say, "See, you shouldn't leave your Look, phone." You're a fucking idiot. Anyway, so, so my delusion, I guess, is that it's a fantasy. See, that's why it's so hard too. These lines, fantasy versus delusion, right? Like, 
And you have to walk those lines. Fantasy, you know it's not real. Delusion, you think it's real. Okay. We only have a couple other things that I want to mention. Another thing that is a misconception is that if you're hearing voice, not only if you're hearing voices, are you acting like that all the time, but that it's long. So one of the things people who are paranoid schizophrenic can flip in and out of these episodes very, very quickly. So they might. So, for example, they might flip into a rage that lasts five minutes and then they're back to normal. And I bring this up because during the cross-examination of Kip Kinkle's psychiatrist during the sentencing hearing, they brought up the fact that he was just naturally and seemingly normally talking to his friends in this group chat that they had. And even in there, he was saying, I'd want to kill this guy at school or whatever. So they tried to use that to say that means he's faking it. He's not mentally ill. He he knew he, he could have stopped himself. But in reality, he could have flipped into that that rage given into the voices, not even a rage. Like, I don't feel like he was even mad while he did this. He just was doing it because he couldn't stop. But they get into these episodes, let's call them, and they can be done and then back. It's almost like and then done personality, right? right? And so the way his psychiatrist explained this chat in the group chat was he was fine and then it's and he believes that when he started talking about killing someone, he the voices were there and he was in there and then he was fine again. And you also have to think it's a chat. It's not like I'm sitting talking to you and you can see this. Who knows how many minutes went in between his comments well, and yeah. how long he had to flip. And also the amount of times that I've been in like a group chat and like been talking about murdering a customer because ah, that's a fantasy right? of mine. And well, that's like <laughs> I mean, it's a little different because this was after he just killed his parents. Okay, that's fair. I, I mean, didn't know it was after. Yeah. It was at, so he killed his dad, waited for his mom, killed his mom, and then was at the house the rest of the night until the morning. So that's another thing to think about. So, yeah, he's in this conversation and seems normal. That is completely plausible for someone who is truly paranoid schizophrenic. Now, there are a couple of key signs that will lead you. So these aren't really misconceptions, but a key, a couple of key signs that can lead you towards this diagnosis. One of them is kind of a lack of motivation or a an unplausible motivation. So the idea that Kip killed his parents so they wouldn't be embarrassed about him. Now, this is still a mental illness, but many people, if not the majority, would be thinking more about killing themselves rather than killing their parents. So that's kind of an, an unbe- not unbelievable, I can't think of the word, but um, an unrealistic motive. Okay. An un, not, I don't want to say uncommon, but something that, We'll say average. I've been using average. I don't like normal. I've been using average because that's more mathematical, right? Where yeah. most people fall. Yeah. The average person wouldn't think to kill their parents because their parents are embarrassed by them. And so that leads to this unrealistic, implausible type of motive. And yeah. that is typical with many people who are paranoid, schizophrenic, having delusions and hearing voices. The voices are just telling them to do that. So their brain is kind of making up this reason, whether it's whether it's logical or not. And in addition, meticulous behavior, even obsessive behavior is very common. And we see this with Kip. 
Kip is very consistent in the stories he tells about his delusions, about what the voices say. And any time his doctor got it wrong and was saying something back to him that was wrong, he would stop him and say, that's not what I said. Yeah. This is what I said. So it was consistent. And he was very persistent, um, adamant about getting it right every time. the way. Yeah. And that is a common trait of people who are paranoid schizophrenic. Well, and even just the obsession with that Nine Inch Nails song, the repetitive nature of like the the Wagner song that he was playing over and over again, like that is also obsessive to a certain degree. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and he became obsessive about Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. He became obsessive about um, protecting himself. Yeah. Right? I want to talk just briefly about another case because I want to highlight how I think Canada's better than us sometimes. I don't think they're always better than us, but there are some things that they do that it's way better. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk about 2002, so it's only four years later, and talk about a guy named Michael Stewart. So Michael was a happy kid. He was mischievous. He liked to tell jokes. And around the age of 18, he started hearing voices. He started having delusions. He didn't want to own it. He was one of those people who didn't want to own it. But ultimately, he started believing his parents were standing outside his bedroom door reading his mind. Oh, wow. And one day he came downstairs and he killed his mother because he thought she was upstairs reading his mind. Mm -hmm. And so he had... The thing that I liked about Canada is that it seemed much easier for them to find uh, Michael not criminally responsible than it is in the U.S. I couldn't find a lot about their laws because it's Canada and I don't know what websites to go to and Googling didn't bring anything up. But I just and they put and and they but they still treat them. They have multiple forensic psychiatric wards where and their goal is to release them if they are no longer a significant threat to society. There's so many assessments that they do and but they get an evaluation Every year. That's another big thing. So when they're in this mental health facility, they're locked down just like prison, but they're evaluated every year. They're getting the medication that they need. They're getting it adjusted. They're getting therapy. It's like a hospital. They're locked up. They can't leave the grounds. But then they slowly move them to kind of um, um, independent housing, right? I was just going to say, even like the the forensic psychological wards, what did you call them? So they are called forensic forensic psychiatric Psychiatric. hospitals or institutions. It depends. And we have, like I said, we have them in the U.S. too. Yeah, but I I just think the court system is better in Canada. Oh, yeah. Well, and like the the idea that in Canada they're actually working towards like the possibility of releasing these people in these psychiatric wards. So different from America. If you are locked up for criminal insanity in America, you will probably be there until you die. And they're... um, and and they get reviewed every year. So that's the thing. They may never get out, but at least there's the chance for them yeah. to get better and get out. This The example that you have in Canada, he did not perform a mass shooting. No, he did and not. And go into a school and kill children. And so you've got to wonder with that specific he added was also aspect to tw- it, if he would ever get out. He was also yeah. 23 years old. But it also so he was I'm older not, than Kip too. But you, but I'm yeah. not saying Kip shouldn't have gotten. And he called gotten, the police on himself. <laughs> I'm not saying Kip shouldn't have got or sh- like that. Kip should the, not have gotten the help, the psychiatric right. help that he um, needed. Obviously needs, but just saying that that is definitely a factor that will change the whole outcome right. of a case. Well, and 
the fact that in reality, Michael's um, incident was more a delusion of his parents reading his mind than voices too, though, which has different effects, right? Because if the voices don't stop, you don't stop, Mm. right? Um, Yeah. I have two short examples of malingering. So instances where it has been found that criminals are pretending to be mentally ill when they're not. And the probably one of the biggest ones is Kenneth Bianchi, one of the Hillside Stranglers. And I just wanted to kind of like highlight some of the things that gave him away. So he claimed he had an personality, Stephen, wasn't it? Or something like that. Stuart, it started with an S, I think. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. That that told him to do these killings. During the course of his interviews with psychiatrists, the psychiatrist said, well, most people who have multiple personalities have at least three. And all of the sudden, Bianchi had another personality. The other thing he did, so there is something called tactile hallucinations, where you think you're touching someone or something that's not there. But it's very rarely seen, um, including this psychiatrist who, who knew a lot about it but had never actually seen a case of it. So he went in and told Bianchi that his lawyer was there, but his lawyer wasn't. Bianchi acted like he was there, pretended he was there, pretended to shake his hand. And then when the lawyer came in, so... <laughs> He was very flustered and he didn't know what to do because he was making it up. Yeah. So that's one example. Another thing that people try to do um, is like possession they try to do, which isn't really paranoid schizophrenia. So there was a a guy, Gore McCooey, in 2000. Nice name. He was Ethiopian in, I I think, around 2014. Um he committed a home invasion against a neighbor and actually killed his 97-year-old neighbor with a grill spatula. Oh, oh my God. Wow. He was still there when the police got there and and told him he was there. He was, like, in the house. But then during his interviews, he was like, I've never been there. I've never been in that house. And then he claimed that a four-armed green man would enter his body and commit these acts. But But it was... So the way his uh, or the way the prosecuting uh, psychiatrist put it was that the way he described this being was so scientifically inaccurate that it was unbelievable that he could he's like he could give Stephen King a run for his money. And he also said paranoid schizophrenia, schizophrenics don't think they're possessed so that was another thing that gave it away the taking a green did i say he was green he said a green man with four r's yeah outlandish right i i feel like the most prevalent use of like trying to use the insanity defense when it's like totally fully not applicable i guess and you can tell that people are faking is that idea of like the devil made me do it which is Mm -hmm. like the devil made me do it case that i talked about the arnie cheyenne johnson case where it's like and I, and even like Son of Sam and stuff, like all these people saying, "Oh well, it was possession; it was the devil." And I, it's like, I mean, do want to say that when I was having my partial seizures, I did genuinely consider maybe I'm possessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I maybe mean, I've I, been abducted well, and by get, aliens and they're planting right. these weird memories and in I my head. Like about I talked this <laughs> in in ran um, through my mind. One of the exorcism I did, the exorcism episode of Emily Rose. Yeah, what that is based on. I don't remember her name, and that is terrible. Of Michaela, me. Ma, Ma, Michaela, or my something. 
Anna Michelle. Yeah, but we kind of talked about it then that if you have these such strong beliefs and something is happening to you that you don't understand, you're going to go towards something that you truly believe in, like God or like the devil. And so aliens. (laughs) There's also a mental aspect to it that exacerbates it, too. Like if you believe you're possessed, then your symptoms most likely are just going to get worse and worse because you're fueling them. Exactly. And so some instances I think that defense might be applicable and might not be someone making it up. Annalise Michelle. Is it Michelle? I pronounced it Michelle. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Um, (laughs) That's all I had. I mean, in the case with Ngor Makui, I hope I'm saying his name right. It's N-G-O-R. Ngor. One of the things that was tricky about his, though, was there was also this no reason why did he need to kill that person? So while his green man with four arms is not realistic for paranoid schizophrenia and, and leads you to believe it's made up, why did he go kill the neighbor? It didn't give you any reason. Yeah. yeah. They believe it was a robbery, but I couldn't... It was really hard to find details about his case because it didn't say, like, did this guy wake up? And so Gore freaked out and attacked him. It just said they think he went there to rob it because he had a jewelry box from there and he killed them. Because the only witness was him and he was trying to yeah. say it was because he was yeah. crazy. So uh, before we end, I just want to bring it back to Kip and like it's it's so hard just with the criteria because it's like he still killed people. There still needs to be some kind of accountability for that, whether or not it was in a paranoid schizophrenic right. delusion. People still died accountability Absolutely. needs to be taken. 100% agree. The fact that he was a child, a 15-year-old kid who had previous like acknowledged symptoms of this that were ignored to a certain yeah, extent because the, his, the system failed him in yeah, every his, single possible His doctors turn. treated him for depression, then when he was getting better, took him off his meds yeah. and never acted on his reports of hearing voices. And it's I don't know, like the something needs to change within the criteria, I think. But then also, oh you my look, God, I totally it's so forgot hard. To talk about this. Sorry. <laughs> it's so hard to like think of something that would actually work because like you said, so, you can't tell if people are faking it most of the time. And it's like, I mean, like you can tell, but you don't know what someone is actually thinking. And then you have stuff like him covering the bodies, which is just an indication that what he knew was doing was wrong. Well, he loved like, them. Yeah. He loved them. He really did. Yeah. Um, but the voice in his head was telling him he's worthless, a piece of shit. And he just had to kill people because he was a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, that was the words he used a lot in his uh, interviews with the doctor. They would tell Sad. him he's a piece of shit. At, to the point where he even thought his parents at one point were standing outside his door yelling that he was worthless, a piece of shit. That's so sad. And I know his parents were frustrated, but from everything I've read, I'm not sure I believe that that was true. You know what I mean? It was more it was more of a like we don't know what to do with you. You may have to go to military school yeah. like kind yeah. of thing. But I was going to talk about this uh this paper that I ran across by someone proposing a different kind of idea of how we could define insanity during trials and I thought it was interesting um, it's called The Psychotic Delusion and the Insanity F- Defense, John M. Whelan Jr. Now, this was all the way back in 2009. He was proposing these changes, but I really liked his example that he gave. He equates it to a, a made-up example, I believe it is. 
but I really kind of liked it. So consider this. FBI agent, and I'm, I'm going to read it word for word just so you guys know. FBI agents knock on the door of a man's house, and on account of psychotic delusions caused by schizophrenia, this man believes those agents are space aliens. Men in black. This man shoots and kills one of the agents. Now, and then he goes on to say, on account of his psychotic delusions, this man plainly doesn't know what he's doing. But in this, but is it in fact plain? After all, most of what he believes about the nature and quality of his act is true. For example, he knows he's shooting a gun. He knows his targets look like human beings. He knows his targets look like FBI agents. And he probably knows many more things about the nature and quality of his act. For example, he doubtless knows whether it's day or night. He probably can make a good estimate of the distance of his targets from the door. He may know the kind of gun he's shooting and the number of bullets in the chamber and so on. So on the one hand, it's plain that if anyone could be found not guilty by reason of insanity because he didn't know the nature and quality of his act, then this man should be found not guilty. But on the other hand, it's also true that... Despite his psychotic delusions, this man knew quite a bit about the nature and quality of his act. Furthermore, this has to be the case. No one could do anything if he was completely deluded about what he was doing. So what are we to say about this? Did he or did he not know the nature and quality of the act he performed? He knew quite a bit about what he was doing, but he was also deluded about the nature of his targets. So even though they... He knows they looked human. They looked like FBI agents. But due to his delusion, they were space aliens in disguise, Mm. essentially. Yeah. So he knew all of that stuff. But he still did not know what the ramification of his actions. Because he thought they were space aliens. So is he not criminally responsible? I don't know. He's got to be somewhat criminally responsible. But based on the definition we currently have to look at, he knew he was shooting FBI agents, which he knows is wrong. Mm-hmm. Or so he's guilty. Yeah. There is no, that's the thing. There is no gray. There's only black and white. I just thought that fake example was a really good one, right? Because yeah. so much of it he knows, he sees it all. But yeah. there's that piece in that his one brain that tells him what he sees is wrong that's what his brain is doing that's what his delusion is what he sees is he thinks is inaccurate is a trick is a disguise that is officially all i have planned so go all Um, right i just quickly i feel like that is a pretty good just summation of the justice system in general that like it's not black and white None of it is black and white. Mm -hmm. When you commit a crime, when you have mental illness, none of it is black and white. And yet the justice system forces us to look at it in a way that is so black and white that so often things are overlooked. People Mm -hmm. are put away wrongly and people are let go wrongly. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's not a system that works for the majority of crime. Mentally ill people are put in jail and then if they haven't committed a major crime, released and yeah. put back on the yeah. street and commit another crime because exactly. they haven't been treated. And yeah. then people who yeah. commit malicious crimes like rape are very often let go. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, the penalty for rape is so small. Yeah. 
Like, I've, it's just a few years if you get convicted of rape. Like, and the yeah. chances of you getting convicted are slim to none. Because another, unless there's evidence, yeah. which they're not, isn't always. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. I think it's just, it's just nothing in life is black and white. No. Like, I challenge yeah. you to name something that is truly 100% black and white and can never have a gray area. Yeah, no, it's not black and white. It's 50 shades of gray. We all know this now, right? it's all just a dirty dirty world and even so but it really is just all gray it's always gray and that's one thing that pisses me off about our society right now specifically politically financially economically just like socially everything has just got to be black and white black and white right and wrong and it's like it isn't that how how have never that how have we not learned over the millennia that the human race because has been around, they don't that teach it's not history black and white. anymore. <laughs> I don't even think it's that. I think it's our brains won't let us. There's a whole our brains. The way the human brain is, it does not like ambiguity. That's There's true. that, but I think a lot of it comes from like you asked the question: How have we not learned the fact that there's a whole generation <laughs> of kids in American schools right now that have not been taught about the Holocaust? I know. <laughs> kind of gives you an indication um, of why oh what i was gonna say before though is not only does the human brain not like ambiguity it doesn't like uncomfortableness and that's something yeah. that you yeah. have you have to train yourself to live with discomfort because there are going to be situations where it's actually better for you to kind of embrace the discomfort that you're feeling but we want black and white we want to feel comfortable and safe all the time we don't want to come mm-hmm. out of our box it's our innate it's our nature yeah right and you know we have varying degrees of that just like everybody is different in some you know genetically all that there's going to be varying degrees of that kind of feeling but in general the way the human brain is structured yeah i wonder if that has a lot to do with the way that everybody's so crazy right now like we spent the last three years essentially just like being locked in our cozy space you know <laughs> and now be. we have to go now, out into the world and everybody's like world. so we got, uncomfortable i think I they think, don't know how yeah. to handle it i feel that way i think it's the comfort zone thing yeah i would agree with that like because we get comfortable at home we were doing our own thing there was nobody judging us we were just at our house who saw us i could walk around naked who cared right like i didn't I have to go to work to like being home as much as i do and now i like go places i'm out for like an hour i'm like man i can't wait to go home <laughs> <laughs> your, yeah, no shit. your environment plays a huge part on your mental health oh yeah definitely so but that's really all i had i don't think of anything well, else anybody else got anything to add no no it's a sad just, story sad situation yeah it yeah. is um i just feel so bad he was 15 yeah. like he essentially got a life sentence without them saying life sentence yeah, yeah. So it's time normally where we would move on to things that don't suck Things that don't suck. But we aren't going to do that anymore. So uh, we've decided that sometimes that first of all, maybe our things that don't suck isn't as interesting to everyone else as it is to not us. relatable. Yeah, not relatable. <laughs> and also, uh, sometimes it's a struggle to come up with mm-hmm. something that doesn't suck when life is tough. We all deal with our struggles. And I don't think that it really has the effect 
that we were going for, which is to like bring you something uplifting after talking about a really serious or kind of downer subject. So in the theme of doing away with poxy toxic positivity just like we got rid of our drink corner if you're a longtime listener we used to have a drink corner we did away with that because we didn't think we should support alcohol abuse so i mean mainly for us like our own <laughs> we struggle abuse but uh <laughs> we don't want to lead any young listeners astray either. and now yes. i don't think it's really very healthy for us to promote our own tox like Toxic positivity to, for us is can be tough sometimes. Well, to force ourselves to think of something happy, right? Yeah, let yourself be sad sometimes. Yeah, you need to. Your brain has to experience all emotions yep. just to be, function correctly. Yeah, you can't be, be happy. Real. All the time. Just be where you are in the moment, and sometimes it's not always like happy. We're gonna start a new thing where we bring you what we believe is an uplifting story from. Anywhere in the world, something someone's doing that's positive for the community or people's welfare in general. I think Belle knows what we're going to call it and would like to share it with you. The PP Corner. Name pending. <laughs> what is I came up with it, but name pending. Yeah, you got to explain it. Positive well, plug. Positive plug. Positive plug. Positive plug. I like the, the um, well, that was really effed up. Now for something not effed up. <laughs> the pee-pee so, corner. <laughs> I don't know if for this first one, so I'm just going to share our brainstorming activity here, but one of those will be what this corner's <laughs> called coming up. Surprise. So I wanted to share, there's this site called Be Inspired, and they do like a daily dose of uplifting news. Like that's kind of their goal, uplifting news. And I wanted to share one that they posted on January 12th about, I'm not going to go into detail. You can go to beinspired.global and read it yourself. But a man who created a theme park specifically designed for people with special needs. Oh, that's I like awesome. That. So Gordon Hartman founded Morgan's Wonderland, which is a 25-acre theme park in San Antonio, Texas. It operates as a nonprofit because the 25 rides that are there are accessible to those with disabilities. Or as Hartman calls it, ultra accessible. Yay! <laughs> so I just thought that was nice because that is something that a lot of people who have disabilities miss out on, is the fun of theme parks and yeah. rides and things like that. Yeah. So Come on, I just thought that was great. Hell I, yeah! Briefly, I saw a TikTok that was um, someone saying that Oh, when everyone says that Disney is the happiest place on earth that I have to go into because of course it is because it's the only accessible place. It's the only like exclusively accessible <laughs> place is. in America. And I like the fact that like Disney is accessible to include everyone. This place is made specifically, specifically for, for disabled people. Yes. Well, and I also really like that it's a nonprofit because yeah. you can't say that Disney is accessible for everybody <laughs> when a day ticket costs 400 yeah. fucking dollars. And they're not accessible out of the goodness of their heart. It's not financially <laughs> accessible. The other thing is, too, is that his Wonderland supports numerous different diagnosis, uh, diagnoses of uh of disability so there's gondolas to accommodate people in wheelchairs um all sorts of fun stuff um there's a sensory village which has a grocery store which mm. i think is so cool because it's not just catering to people who might be physically disabled but it's catering to 
people who might not like crowds, who yeah. might need kind of that sensory stuff. So I and the that grocery was cool. store offers more options to people that might have some Diet- sort of dietary issue or be yeah. super picky. Yeah. Right? yeah, because sometimes there's a sensory issue with eating too. Yep. Yeah, me. <laughs> um, and it has camping and sports as part of it, so it's pretty That's cool. Cool. We should find a way that we can donate to it. The other thing is, too, is that it's not just for those with disabilities. Like, you can go with your family. It's not exclusive. Right. But it's it's so different in this society to, like, have something that is made exclusively with disabled people in mind and then have, like, able-bodied people be an afterthought necessarily because it's normally the opposite. You create something for able-bodied people. And then disabled people are the after. And then make sure we meet the minimum guidelines. Significantly easier to like for an able-bodied person to accommodate to something specifically designed for disabled people than for a disabled person to try to squeeze their way into our ableist society. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, If you are interested, I don't know where you can donate, but if you want to learn more about it, you can go to Morgan M O R G A N S wonderland.com so morganswonderland.com nice Yay. I like that That's I a like our new corners <laughs> yeah. and now they can go look at things too it's not just yeah. like well I got my house clean I like today. my cat I know and that's the thing is like it may be important to us but we can talk about that shit when we're not well, on the mic <laughs> yeah even with as small as our voice may be, we still have listeners and we still have some semblance of a voice. And I think and a uplifting, yeah, a responsibility to uplift other voices and people who are actively creating good in their yeah. communities yeah. or in like society at large. It's important to acknowledge that yes. and do what we can to help with that. Well, yes. and we have a responsibility to make sure our goal and our, our vision for this podcast is met with the listeners, whether we yes. have five listeners or 2000 mm-hmm. listeners, if our goal is not to bring them down, then we have to do it right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a partnership. Yeah. I feel like it's yep. a partnership. We work together. So we want to entertain you. And we also want you to leave feeling better than when you arrived. And we want your feedback. Yes. Yes. I know. And please rate us on your podcast platform. Rate us. Rate us. And, rate us. And we love you. Make it to my circle!